This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. So here's a question for you. What do the Hebrew Gospels have to do with the Exodus? Well, everything. In fact, there, if there was no Exodus, there would be no evidence for the Bible at all, including evidence for Yeshua. Dr. Miles Jones explains why it is so crucial to have a Hebrew foundation for the Bible. And what happens to our faith if we don't? Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. So let's think this through, shall we? Okay, if you don't have an Exodus, you don't have Moses. And if you don't have Moses, you don't have the commandments. And if you don't have the commandments, well, you don't have the foundation for anything else in the Bible. And the key to it all is the Hebrew language. Dr. Miles Jones joins us for the fourth, final, and most important episode tonight of Connecting the Dots of the Exodus. And we're also into a new month, too. You know what else was established at the Exodus? The Hebrew calendar. We are on the second Shabbat of the eighth month, uh, better known in Babylonian times, I guess, as Marheshvan, and uh, we are also preparing here in today's modern society for the end times, and here to help us do that today is the CEO of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Well, thanks for having me here again today, Scott. I just love being on Shabbat Night Live. Thanks, everybody. Now, you have a special guest that we're going to introduce on Zoom here because we're talking about mm -hmm. ham radio time again, so take it away. Yes, we are. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you that if there was ever a time in this world that you would need to be able to communicate, it's right now. With all of the things happening here in the world, with uh, the viruses that are happening in the United States and around the world, but more importantly, with the, the unrest that's taking place with the uh, attack in Ukraine by Russia and the possibility of uh, even nuclear war. Yes, if there ever was a time it's now to be able to communicate. So I have my good friend here with us. Uh, Don Goodrich is here. Hi, Don. How are you doing today? Hey, Ted. I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Don is what I'd like to call my favorite rocket scientist because Don helped work with the uh, James Webb Telescope, but he's also a ham radio operator, uh, extra class, and he is going to be helping us and become the lead uh, instructor for another ham radio technician class. Don, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's going to come up here in pretty quick here in uh, next week. And uh, basically, the reason why we need this class is, like you say, uh, it's the last form of communication that's going to fail if, if the world falls out from under us. So there's a couple of classes, I'm, you know, levels of, of ham radio. There's the technician and the general. Technician lets you talk to the local community, which is good for if you want to keep in touch with friends and family and do travel and, and stay in touch with your local community. But the general is what you need for 
cross country and worldwide and and listening in on the whole world of what's going on so um you know emergent conditions what happens when it happens as you mentioned earlier right well you know earlier we were discussing about when hurricane ian hit florida and literally wiped out that whole area of Fort Myers and the islands right there, they were totally without communication, except when all else fails, ham radio works, and there were ham radio operators down there that were giving day-to-day reports and telling people uh, about what was going on down there with ham, you know, with the people, what kind of supplies they needed, uh, what evacuations were needed to have to happen. There was no communication. There was no cell towers. Uh, there was no telephone service. It was all about ham radio, and ham radio is. So very important. We take it very seriously. Michael has always said here at A Rude Awakening that it's important to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And here at A Rude Rude Awakening, we always uh, stay prepared. So if you're ever wondering why a ministry is talking about ham radio, well, it's because communication is one of the most important things that can take place when there's a major emergency. And by the way, it doesn't have to be, you know, nuclear war to be an emergency. That was a hurricane scenario. And, uh, you know, tornadoes coming through out west in California with the wildfires. These are all emergencies. And when emergencies happen, you need to be able to stay in touch with your family. And this is one of the best ways that you can do it. This is one of the best ways that you can stay in touch with each other. Don, we have a little bit less than one minute left. So can you tell me, uh, what do you what do you want to do with this technician class as far as what are the things that you're going to be teaching some folks? Well, uh Certainly, it's going to be for local communication between family and friends. So hopefully, when we've completed the class, you'll be in a position to be able to get on the airwaves and legally talk to within 50 miles of, of where you are. And it's really important. You, you we, we just talked about the South Plus, uh, Florida hurricane situation. There's uh, local weather watches in most areas of the country uh, here in the in the Midwest. We talk about tornadoes and and ice storms and the the like and prepare for uh, events where, uh, you know, we may need to coordinate resources in in Mm -hmm. that environment. And in in the Pacific Northwest, where there's all the forest fires, uh, the town of Twist was uh, knocked out for all of their communications when the fires took down all the cell infrastructure. So ham radio went in there and set up communications between all the first responders and the mayor's office. And it was awesome there as well. So, well, that's great, Don. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, now's the time. There's never been a time more important to be able to communicate with your family and friends than right now. So if you get a chance, go and look at our ham radio technician uh, course. Uh, You can go to the website, rootawakening.tv. Just look at the banner that talks about ham radio, click it, and you can sign up for ham radio today. Thank you, Don, for being with us. Oh, you're most welcome, and thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Ted. So that is, again, starts this Monday, right? That's right. This Monday, November 7th. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever known a need for communication, now's the time. 
And you can sign up still at rudeawakening.tv slash hamradioclass. Now, uh, so that's new. What else is new is we have a new love gift, and uh, we'll let the commercial do the talking there. But oh, yeah. the teaching is really cool. It's the Ten Commandments in America. This is a guy who's going to start teaching with us on Shabbat Night Live next week. His name is Steve Siefkin. You would be very surprised to know how closely our ten, our, uh, our, uh, Constitution yeah. uh, and, and everything is really tied into the Torah. Yeah. And so he's going to go through that and how the Ten Commandments are actually in the founding documents of America. Well, that's interesting. So you're not going to want to miss a moment of that. Absolutely. Another great teacher we know here at Shabbat Night Live is Keith Johnson. Keith Johnson doing a deep dive again every Sunday at 1 p.m. You can go up and watch Keith do an excellent teaching each, each and every week. This week, Truth matters. Absolutely. Now, here's what's coming up tonight. That is Jehovah's major intervention on behalf of his people mm -hmm. is the Sinai Covenant. It is the foundation of the Bible. And so if that foundation is, is false, you're building an edifice of religion upon sand. All right, well, there you have it. Dr. Miles Jones explains why it is so critical to have a Hebrew foundation for the Bible and what happens to our faith if we don't. That's coming up. Stay with us. Idols are not the only type of gods. In fact, when the Bible refers to the gods of this world, it's referring to people at the head of every nation, the government, but what happens when these little gods do not submit to the big God, Yehovah? Every nation is supposed to follow Israel's example, learn from their good and learn from their bad. And that's what mm. we should be doing right now. And right now we're going away from what God set up. And you know how that ends up. It's yeah. not, not a good thing. In a fascinating and eye-opening presentation, Steve Siefkin reveals how the principles of the Torah are not just a matter of faith, but a matter of national law and order, specifically in the United States. The Ten Commandments in America is a special teaching from Michael Rood, our gift to thank you for supporting A Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in November, we'll send you The Ten Commandments in America with Steve Siefkin on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts, The Ten Commandments in America plus a Western wall decoration made of soil from the Holy Land, depicting Psalm 137, verse 5 in Hebrew. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. The Ten Commandments in America, the Western wall decoration, and a silver-plated Shabbat wine fountain with eight Kiddush cups and an elegant grapevine pattern. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rude Awakening International in November. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took bread and he blessed the Most High. Barukata Yehovah Elohino Malakalam Hamotzi Lachem Miharetz. And he said, This represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do it from now on, understand this has always represented my broken body. 
And often, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of what I'm about to do for you. Then he took his cup and he told his disciples after he blessed it, after he blessed the Most High, and he said, Baruch Atah Yehovah, Elohim Melechah Alam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth and has created the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, you divide my cup among yourselves. And as he passed his cup around and they poured a bit of his into their cups, it got back to him empty and he said, I will not drink a drop of the fruit of the vine till I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. But as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Not only that I will pay for the broken covenant, that I will pay for the transgression, that I will renew the covenant in my blood, but also remember that I am waiting for you at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that is when I will drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. If you have been watching the last three weeks of Shabbat Night Live, you know that we have been connecting the dots, connecting the dots with all of the uh, pictographs and things like this throughout history to show where the Israelites came from and more importantly, where the, the Hebrew written language came from. And we've been uh, showing that. But one thing, Dr. Miles Jones, I wanna know is, okay, so we have these Hebrew gospels that we have talking about, talked about before uh, in another series, <laughs> but, how do we really know that this was not translated to some other language and then, oh yeah, we forgot to, let's go back to Hebrew and put it back in Hebrew. How do we know that these are from the original and never uh, translated to other languages first? That's a, that's a really good question. And the, the answer to that, the short answer is we have the markers of the Hebrew manuscript tradition. Things okay. that are in the Hebrew gospels that are not in the other gospels. And we'll talk about that. But I think, the, the pertinent question right now is, uh, uh, what does that have to do with the Exodus? Remember, uh, basically, we talked about this before. That is Yehovah's major intervention on behalf of his people, mm -hmm. is the Sinai Covenant. It is the foundation of the Bible. And so if that foundation is, is false, you're building an edifice of religion upon sand, Right. right. So we went through, that's why the evidence of the Exodus is so important. So we went through and proved it and showed it with scientific evidence, connected the dots. This happened. We have the evidence. All right. And right. it happened at the time the Bible said it did, which was 15th century, 1446, entering into the conquest about 1400. We now have the evidence mm -hmm. to prove all of these things. But you remember that it was at the, during the Exodus that Yehovah prophesied to Moses, there will be another. I will choose another like unto you, Moses. Right. And, and I will put the things I want him to say, and he will say all the things I want him to say. So they're, they're prophesying the coming of the king. So we have to have our foundation in yep. Exodus first before we ever have a Messiah. Yes, we do. And, and Yeshua based his authority on the Exodus. 
He did. He based mm. his authority on 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 the the law given at Sinai. He said, "Not a yod or a tittle shall pass from the law until all be fulfilled." I have not come to destroy the Torah or the prophets, mm-hmm. which is very interesting because I I was listening to a uh, a religious broadcast this morning that said the law is dead. Well, <laughs> according to who? Not according to Yeshua. Some things have been abrogated. How can you listen to those? I, I, I just turn those off. Well, you see they're, you see they're good. <laughs> they got to this one and said, what? He's, he's erasing the Torah from the Bible. You know? It creates a schizophrenic church. You know, they're, yeah. trying to, they're trying to push the Hebrew Messiah away and embrace the Greek Jesus. You know, because then this is the same historical person. Mm. Come on, let's get real here. The same person, right? But you have a Hebrew Messiah who upholds Torah. And you have a Greek Jesus who is said to have done away with it. Now, that's totally contradictory. This is called an archetype. Our perception of who that person is, what his, his purpose is, and, and what his goals are. Right? Mm. And so you've created this totally different thing right, between the two. And that, right. that doesn't work. You've got to resolve those issues. You know, and Yeshua had no problem resolving it. He said, people... People will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not expelled demons in your name and done great wonders and healed and done great wonders in your name? And I will be forced to profess to them, I don't know you. Get away from me, you who are without Torah. Mm -hmm. The workers of anomia. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how, how do we know that? We know that from the Hebrew Gospels because the, the names of God, the names of his son, Yeshua, Yehovah, Yeshua, the words like Torah and menorah have been translated out of the Bible, been translated in other words which are more ambiguous, right? Mm-hmm. So if Yeshua is saying, I don't know you, you are not a keeper of Torah, I don't know you, doesn't that put a kink in your thing that the... That the the, the law has been expelled, so you become, right. you become uh, oftentimes, not always, I mean, a lot of people, you know, have a very deep appreciation of Yehovah and, and his laws and don't think we've canceled the Ten Commandments, you know, because Yeshua came, now the Ten Commandments are no longer relevant. Uh, so, but he, he puts, the, puts an end to that argument, doesn't he, mm-hmm. you know? according to him. So what happens? It's in the Hebrew Gospels. That's how we know. A lot of things are in the Hebrew Gospels. We have the markers of the Hebrew Gospels. And that's what we're going to look at now. What are those markers? Okay, one of them is, of course, the names of God and the name of the Messiah. The name of Yehovah and his son, Yeshua the Messiah. They're in Hebrew in the Hebrew Gospels, right? And we have... So, for example... In the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia, the first ones I translated, it says Yeshua Mashiach, Yeshua Mashiach. In the Shem Tov manuscript, it says Yeshu, and in the Rumont Bible, which is a Waldensian Bible, that's actually translated, the Hebrew Gospels translated into Rumont, uh, one of the early European languages, it says Yeshua. Mm. So that's one of the first things you look for, the name of God and the name of, of his son, and then words like Torah, and menorah. There are others, there are other words, but those are the things you look at. So let's look at some of these, shall we? So these markers are basically things that are, words that are consistent throughout 
these uh, throughout Fairly the era. consistent, yes, throughout the Hebrew manuscript. Throughout it may not have all yeah. of the markers, but if it has more than one, it's probably either from that tradition or been influenced by it. Okay. But you're certainly not going to find them in the Greek manuscripts. So in the same way we look at Mount Sinai, well, there's Mount Sinai, there's the split rock, there's the drawings of the, of the cows on the sides of the golden, right. this must be the they're, place. They're landmarks, right. And okay. They're mentioned in Scripture, they're landmarks. So what we have are things that are mentioned in the Hebrew Gospels, but not in the Greek Gospels. Now, folks, the Hebrew Gospels, it's the same Gospel story. It's nothing that's going to shake anybody's faith, or it shouldn't. But you, the thing that you get, there are some significant differences, yes, but they have to do with, you know, doctrinal things. Uh, but they're, um, it's, it's the same story. Mm -hmm. Yeshua is still the Son of God. He's still our Messiah. So That's you know, don't, what we don't, told. don't get all agitated uh, about this. It's, it's perfectly, what you, what you do get is you get a Hebrew perspective of the story. And n not understandably, you, you get from the Greek Gospels, you get a Greek perspective. Right. Everything we know about our Hebrew Messiah comes to us through the filter of Greek language, culture, and thought. I tell, and excuse it. You know? uh, yeah, I tell friends of ours who are just, uh, you know, Sunday-going Christians, uh -huh. uh, they often ask us about why we believe what we believe. We say, we believe the same thing you do, like you just said. Right. It doesn't change your faith, but all those things that you glaze over and kind of shake your head going, I don't know what that means what in my Bible. It? Why are if we you, practicing, why are we doing different feast days than the ones that are commanded yeah, or in why the Bible? Did, why did Jesus say that? Well, I don't understand. I'll just keep moving on. Here, when you look at it from a Hebrew perspective, you, you begin to uh, give give some definition to those glazed over areas that you yeah. didn't understand before, right. that's all. It doesn't yeah, change what's in There's just not a lot of things that don't compute because of this, this right. basically transformation of the Bible into a Greek doctrine, right? Yep. You know, and some of the things, you know, it's, no, Even their idioms don't make sense in yes, Greek because it's, it's something they said in Hebrew all the time. And we'll, we'll look at some of those. We'll look at some of those because they're really, they're really significant. This is the Paris manuscript, one of our new manuscripts. I was about to tell you that. Uh, and if you go on our website, writingofgod.com, writingofgod.com, you can pick up for free a PDF, the Hebrew Gospels, Do They Exist? And it will hmm. give you... Uh, a rundown of some of these manuscripts because at the time we wrote that there were like 15 extant manuscripts of the Hebrew Gospels. So I went to Europe. I knew I had three already. I knew there must be more. So I prayed about it and I got permission to go to Europe and uh, found, like the first day, I found five more manuscripts of the Hebrew Gospels at the Cambridge Library. Not a bad day. Yeah, not, not, not a bad day at the office there, right? Okay, but now... It, 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 this is another scoop, folks. I actually predicted this. I won't say prophesied, but I predicted that as soon as the cat was out of the bag and these, these libraries and museums knew of the existence of the Hebrew Gospels, because they, they, everyone presumes that it's a translation from Latin or Greek. Right. And that was actually your question. How do exactly. we know it's not? And mm -hmm. we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But th that it, it happened exactly the way I said it. Would. Once the cat is out of the bag, and the Vatican has led the way in this, to their credit, you know, I got my original manuscript from them, hmm. and I've seen others since, and I've been back, I've been to the Vatican again and seen other, other manuscripts there. But they, they have started to blossom like flowers in the spring. We are now tracking 80 manuscripts of the Hebrew Gospels, 80. Wow. 
Yeah, either, and like half a dozen of them are the complete, I didn't know that we'd find this, complete manuscript of the Brit Hadashah, the, the uh, Really? Yes, it's the New Testament in Hebrew. It's actually called the, the Renewed Covenant in Hebrew. So you got the Old Covenant and you got the Renewed Covenant. In Greek, it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. What's the difference? A testament is not a covenant. A covenant is a contract between us and God. He says, if you do this, this, and this, I'll do this, this, and this for you. Mm. Right? The Jews got that. Right? Right? And he created wonders through them. They got it. They educated their children. And he says, I will do marvels with you among all the people that you are with, that you're living with. And everyone will see the things that I've done with you. And that's exactly what's happening, right? I mean, for as long as we've had the Nobel Prizes, for example, they've been cleaning up, Mm -hmm. haven't they? Yes. You know, it's like they're a tiny percent of the world's population, less than 1%. You know, and yet they get 20% of all the Nobel Prizes, right? Hebrews, not necessarily Israelis, but Hebrews, right, all over. In the United States, they're less than 2% of the population. And of all Americans that have received the Nobel Prize, uh, 40% have been, have been, have been uh, American uh, Hebrew, Jews. Yeah, yeah, American American Jews. Amer- wow. And so, so obviously they got it. They got it. The, the covenant from Sinai. It's a teaching covenant, right? Mm-hmm. You'll teach the word and the writing of God. And they got it. And they've been expert in mm. every area, every profession. Well, that that covenant is not just for them. It's not a racial thing. It's for anyone who wants to walk in covenant with Yehovah. He'll give you the same blessing, exact same blessing, right? Mm. So don't either, it's not about races. It's not about only the rich kids get to do it. You know, everybody will be given the keys to the kingdom of knowledge. Mm. And so that's why it's so important. The Hebrew gospel is so important because it gets you back on the Hebrew track that they got and so many people didn't. We copied the Greek model, obviously, mm-hmm. which is basically comes out of the pagan template, right? Yeah. In so, any case. So no, the Hebrew, let me go back to something you said here, though. Yeah. So the... the 80 editions of the Hebrew Gospels. Now, this is not just the Gospels. You said the entire Brit Hadashah? Yeah, so all the, the epistles? With all the epistles. Really? Up, right up to Revelation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans, all Corinthians. All the epistles. Galatians, Galatians, and Revelation. All of them. Wow. We've got six copies of them. Now, we have not... Uh, my team is much less than 80, so we haven't had a chance to evaluate all of these and ascertain if they are authentic or if they are translations. Mm. So we'll have to do that. But I never assume they are until I have verified it. Right. Now, how long ago was that discovered? This is the first I've heard of it from you. So, uh, Well, uh, they've been coming in on a regular basis. And a lot hmm. of it has to do with uh, the, you know, the public knowledge that has gone through Shabbat Night Live out there to the world. Right? Well, we're happy to have played a part. This no, is great. No, it's no, really, it's really it's important. You know, they they've started to look at these manuscripts again and say, well, maybe there was something, uh-huh. right? And now you can get these, and we've obtained many of them, and that's what we do. And people donate to us. We use that money to purchase these because so you can literally purchase them. They're not our volunteers. In. We have a team of like forty, mm-hmm. you know, volunteers that are working on these manuscripts, transcribing and translating, doing a wonderful, wonderful job. But they're all volunteers. But it still costs us money to get these to get these because they're rather expensive. So they're not locked away in a museum where you cannot purchase them. They're actually available for purchase if you wanted them. Yes. Wow. Some, some are. Some, some you have to get, you know, 
They're locked locked around the special back permissions or something. or something. Yeah. But yeah, we've gotten a lot of them, and mm. you know, we're we're busy authenticating them and transcribing, and we're we're compiling the Hebrew Gospels from all of the relevant manuscripts that are out there. Okay. So, Terrific. And we'll have some new ones coming out. Well, thank you for for uh, letting me disturb your thought here. Go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> that's good. But we're tracking 80, and that's really important. So let me let me show you one of the markers. Okay, this is called Pernamosia, and this is one of the... In Matthew 121, it says, And you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people. Now, mm-hmm. in Hebrew, that is, you should call his name Yeshua, for he will Yoshia his people. It comes from the same root. Yeshua means salvation. Okay, so there's a... Little vowel change there, but it's the same root, and it gives it an internal rhyme, mm. you know, a matching of sound. Yeah, that makes sense. It's very, very Hebrew, Hebraic prose. What it is like internal, internal rhyme. Okay, so that's Pernamosia, and we see that in this new manuscript <coughs> here at the John one thirty four in the Cambridge manuscript. 132, one of the manuscripts that I found when I went there. So you have this, this phrase here, the Ruach Tenuach. The Ruach Tenuach. It, it means the spirit, the Ruach, resting on this person. You shall know who they are when you see the spirit resting upon them, mm. descend upon them. Is that another example of the prose? I noticed that yes. the rhyming there. Yes, the internal, okay. internal rhyme. So that, but that, that indicates a certain authenticity to this manuscript because... Greeks don't write like that. And when you translate right. Hebrew into Greek, usually all the paranomosia, the internal rhyme, is lost. Uh, yeah, right. 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 You're you not going to Almost get that. always. So when you, these are the things you look for. You look for idioms, you look for internal rhyme, and you look for these markers primarily. Right? One of the things that's proven to be very important are the prefaces. Because the preface often will say it was originally written in Hebrew. Hmm. Right? The Greek gospels never say that. Right, but Jerome, Saint Jerome, translated them from Hebrew into Latin and Greek, and he wrote prefaces that have been widely used. So Jerome says they're originally written in Hebrew, although he translated them into Greek and Latin. This is Matthew. This is about Matthew, and probably Matthew and Luke were were kind of glommed together into one book because they didn't put their names on them. Mm. They were written anonymously. We know them by the testimony of the early church fathers. So here it says. Luke was from Syria and dwelt in Antioch. He was a great doctor of the art. And after he became a disciple of the apostles, did not separate from the company of St. Paul, the gospel was already written for those in Judea. So it was already written for those in Judea, and that would have been in Hebrew. They were not Greek speakers. Mm. They were not Greek speakers. Let me say that again in case you missed it. They were not Greek speakers. They spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And Hebrew was their religious language, so they, mm. they, they spoke that. But they spoke Hebrew as well as Aramaic. So it was already written for them in Judea. In Matthew, it says the first evangelist wrote this in the holy tongue. The holy tongue is Hebrew. It's not Greek. It's not yeah, Greek. Certainly not so he's Greek. saying he wrote it in Hebrew. The first evangelist wrote this in the holy tongue from memory to his brothers. So that's your, that's mentioned. And in other, in the Rumont, uh, Bible, it mentions that it was originally written in Hebrew. So, mm. so look at the preface first. Does it say it's written in Hebrew? Never ignore and the foreword. Originally <laughs> written in Hebrew, yes. Yeah, so why, yeah. should, why should you doubt it when they say it? Wow. So that's one of the markers. That's an important one. This one says, Vermont Bible, John 1, in the beginning, I know you can't read that, but I can actually. 
I translated this. Okay, in the Rumont Book of John, down here at the bottom, it says, in the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was God. Mm. Now, theologically, the Word and the Son are considered synonyms, so it doesn't break any theological rules. Right. But it does, it does, uh, it is a marker of the Hebrew Gospels. In the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia, look in the middle there, it says, in the beginning was the Son, Eloah, and the Son of El was with El. Practically the same, Mm -hmm. but in others it says exactly the same. So that is a marker of the Hebrew Gospels, that instead of in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was the Son. All right, that is a marker. So here's another one. Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia. Now Epiphanius said... He, and he was the conserved the first church historian. He was a Jewish Christian, and he wrote in like the third century, fourth century. He said, and he's speaking of the Hebrew Gospels, and he could read Hebrew. He could read the Hebrew Gospels. He says, their, their Hebrew Gospels begins like this. In the days when Herod was king of Judea. Okay, well, that's not Matthew. That's in Luke. So it's mm-hmm. a direct quote. So he'd obviously read the the. The Luke was originally written in Hebrew. Later on, it was translated into Greek, and it was like doubled in size. So it's kind of a hybrid. Mm. They added a bunch more to it. But part of what they added was what's called the prologue to Luke, the first four verses. Right now, in the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia, what happened to Luke? What happened to the verses one through four? In the well, days hold on, of- hold that thought. Let's get to that after the break. All right. We're going to find out what happened to verses 1 through 4 of Luke. Luke, 1 through 4, the prologue. What happened to it? All right. We're going to find out right after this. We're going to take a couple of minutes break uh, to thank you, first of all, for making Shabbat Night Live possible, for donating to this ministry. It also helps others to see this into the future because we can't keep going without funding. So thank you for doing it. Uh, We like to pay it forward here at Shabbat Night Live. We hope you do too. So thank you very much. And we'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. We'll be right back. I hold in my hand the list of the 80 Hebrew manuscripts of the New Testament. Uh, The first six at the top, uh, Dr. Miles Jones, are uh, are complete New Testament. The complete New Testament, everything. And now that would the Gospels, Acts, the Epistles, Revelation, everything. Now that would include, of course, Luke. And before the break, we were talking about what happened to the first four. Right. Verses of Luke. What yeah, happened here? We're, ta- we're talking about the markers yes. of the Hebrew Gospels. So, because the first thing we're going to do is go look at the markers and see if this this could be possibly of Hebrew origin. Because you don't know necessarily just because you've gotten Hebrew. There are certainly translations that does not include any of them that we know are translations, mm. like the Delitz or the Covenant. Uh, but it, what happened to Mark? That what happened to Luke, Luke 1 through 4? Because Epiphanius, the earliest church historian, said it begins in the days when Herod was king of Judea, right? Okay. Well, there are four verses that come before that in, the, in your Bible. You can look at them right now if you want. But what they say in the Hebrew Gospels, the first four verses are missing. Hmm. So guess what? It starts with verse 5. Which reads, in the days when Herod was king of Judea, exactly like Epiphanius said in the third century. Mm. He said that it was, that's what it says in the Hebrew Gospels, that's how it starts out. And this is how Luke starts out in the Hebrew Gospels, because they don't have the first four verses. Well, that's pretty exciting, because look, here's another manuscript. The Vatican, EBR, that means Hebrew, uh, Hebrew. 
-hmm. Vatican Hebrew manuscript number 530. Okay, now this is uh, the one that Nehemiah found at the Vatican. It's a fragment. It's only, it's a big, like 11 by 17. It's got four pages on it. It's part of a choir. So it was part of a complete Mm, manuscript. But it happens to have the first page of Luke and the first page of John on it. Right? Okay. Because it was bound together with a bunch of others. So it's four pages, but it's got the first one of Luke, and there's a couple of really incredible things about it. One is that, of course, it does not have the first four verses of Luke, just like the Hebrew Gospels of mm. Catalonia does not have the first four verses. So these four, first four verses are not mi- something missing from the they Hebrew. Were, They're additions from they the Greek added, or they, whatever. They, they were added into the Greek Gospel when they translated it into Greek and enlarged it. Mm. They put more material in it. And I'm not saying the Greek gospel is not the sacred word. I I certainly believe that it is because all the things that were added in were good things, things we know to be accurate. But um, that's the thing. But here are the first four verses. For as many have taken in hand, that means they wrote, right? I set forth the narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us. So he had them. The author had them, right? Who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word? Well, that's got to be the apostles, don't you think? It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things, to write unto you a copy. <laughs> so mm. that you would know. That's what it says. It says it's a copy that you might know the certainty of these things. So that's what they've added into the Greek gospel. So if you've got two, let's say if you've got two, two books, two gospels of Luke, right? One of them says it's a copy, and the other one does not say it's a copy. Which one is most likely to be the original? <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> the one that obvious. does not claim to be a copy, right? Yep. So that was added in by the Greeks, and there was more that was added in. Now, St. Jerome translated them, and he testified four times in writing. He was very enamored of them. He called Matthew the authentic fountainhead of the word. So he, he's a lover of books. He wasn't so good with people, but he was a lover of books. The Gospel according to Hebrews that we've recently translated. Now, in there, he, and this is the core of the whole thing. In there, he talked about three instances where the Hebrew Gospels were different than the Greek Gospels. They go back to the early church tradition, all right, Mm -hmm. at the crucifixion of Yeshua. All right, there was an earthquake. Right. Darkness covered the, the, the temple, covered all of Jerusalem. There was an earthquake and in the Greek Gospels, it says it tore the veil. Yes, I know the story, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all right? Well, in the Hebrew Gospels, it doesn't mention the veil. It says it split the huge lintel stone above the Holy of Holies, and it fell. Well, mm. think about that a little bit. What's hanging beneath that huge lintel stone? Oh, that would be the, the, the veil is hanging the veil from is that, hanging likely, yes. So if the lintel stone split and fell, it would rend the veil in two. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's, a, it's not a contradiction of what's in there, but it is a different perspective. You know, the Greeks focus on the, the tearing of the veil gives them direct access to Yehovah. They do not have to go through any Hebrew priest. 
which was important to them. They're declaring their independence, right? Sure. But to the to the Jewish Christian Messianics, the Messianics of the era, these people had walked in that temple, and it really was a wonder of the ancient world. It was an incredible building. That's why Herod was called Herod the Great because of his building, mm. his building projects. So he built this magnificent temple as inlaid with gold, on the inside gold foil there. And uh, to be honest with you, you know, it was demonized because Herod was demonized. And this was a, you know, and when Yeshua, the, you know, his apostles, his Talmudim, his students, were showing him the temple and they were just like in awe of it. And, and Yeshua was not impressed at all. He said, do you, do you see this? Not one stone will be left against another. It's all gonna be torn down. So Yeshua himself, Daniel also, prophesied the total destruction of the temple, which happened 40 years later. You know, even that the breaking of the lintel stone, just thinking of an earthquake, it makes more sense anyway, because how could everything else, you know, we see this yeah. in the movies about Yeshua. The, the whole thing shakes, it's all still there, I mean, and yet the, the, the curtain's flexible. Curtain rips. Like, the curtain's, it's not, gonna, it's not gonna be ripped. It could be ripped by supernatural means, of course. Right. Or by a falling lintel stone that had just broken in half. <laughs> just torn in half, yeah, yeah exactly. That, that could do it, but it's flexible. Other yeah. than by supernatural means, it wouldn't have been split. So right. it makes actually more sense, like you said, mm -hmm. right? So you've got, you've got the breaking of the lintel, and that, that's what was mentioned in the Hebrew Gospel. So at this point when I read that, you know, Yehovah took me at that hand, now, come over here. <laughs> <laughs> like a little imbecile child, go over here and check in the Hebrew Gospel and see what it says in those three places. So it's mentioned in Matthew 27, 51, Mark 15, 38, and Luke 23, 45. Now we're going to look at these, right? Are you ready for this? Go ahead. Let's do this. All right. So St. Jerome says testimony, the earliest church tradition is what is written in the Hebrew Gospel. It says a huge lentil stone over the Holy of Holies. It had to be huge because it's supporting more, more stones on top of it, right? Right. That was what was cracked. And it desecrated the temple. It desecrated the Holy of Holies. That was the testimony of Yehovah himself as to the death of his son, that it was his son. He desecrated the Holy of Holies and the, and the Sanhedrin at the same time. Mm. Okay, so in the... In the gospel, however, which is composed in Hebrew, we read not that the temple curtain was torn, but that the temple lintel of wondrous size fell. So that's the inner temple. All right, so let's look at these. Now, here is the King James Version, all right? Since most of you probably don't know Greek. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The choice of word for rocks instead of stones, it's the same word. Mm -hmm. right? Makes you think it's not the stones of the temple, but some rocks out on the hillside or something. Yes. All right? But here you go in the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia, the HGC, and here the temple is broken on both sides. The temple itself was broken on both sides, up and down. And in other places, up from the top to the bottom, from the front to the back. So the Holy mm. of Holies, which was surrounded by a greater outer temple, was, was just cracked right down the middle. Both sides up and down the earthquake, and the stones were split in the middle. All right, that's Matthew. That sounds like the what Jerome said about mm -hmm. the, the, the early church tradition of the Messianics that was written up in the Hebrew Gospels. And this is from the Hebrew Gospels, remember? Okay, and the first one I translated, the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia. So here's what it says in uh, King James Version. And the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. 
All right. And in the Hebrew gospel, it says the temple was broken on both sides, up and down, the temple itself. Hmm. And in Luke 23, 45, and the sun was dark and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. In the Hebrew gospels, and the sun went dark and covered the temple and it, the temple, was split in the middle. Hmm. The stones of the temple were split, not the veil, no mention of the veil at all. So three okay. times in a row now, if I'm not mistaken, we, we're here about this split in the middle. In the middle, from the top to the from bottom, the top to from the, bottom. the front to the back. I mean, the entire Holy of Holies right. was desecrated. So not just a, like you said, not just a, a, a picture in your mind of these rocks on the hillside being rent or jostled. Mm-hmm. It's something splitting down the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the only way they were able to hide it is because it's, it's in the inner temple and nobody's allowed to go in there. Mm. Okay, so they could fill it in with plaster and hang a banner over it and keep the, keep the temple going because it was a cash cow. Right. Fix the lintel well enough because you, you people weren't allowed in there anyway. All right? It wasn't recorded because who was in charge of recording? The, the, the Sadducee priests were in charge mm. of recording. So they're going to put in the historic record what they want. But this is just 40 years after it was actually built, not 45 years after it was built, mm-hmm. and already it's been desecrated. <clears throat> Nobody's going to bring the, the scam they're running with the, with the goats. You bring a goat and, and say, well, this goat has a blemish, but for a fee, mm. you know, I'll give you a goat without blemish. We'll take this as a down payment. So they'd get a goat and the price of the goat. So and then a sell a goat. <laughs> sure, and then provide the same goat to the next chunk. <laughs> Yeah, so they were fleecing yeah. the righteous, you know, and the money uh, changers. You could not give us a tithe money that had a pagan image on, like of the emperor. Right. So for a fee, we will provide you with money that does not have a pagan image on it. For, so again, they're making more money. Yeah. Yeah. So they're okay. making tons of money. They were cleaning up, to, mm. to be honest. And they didn't want to, to uh, endanger that. Okay, so I told you I went to find more Hebrew Gospels because I had convinced her there, and I prayed about it, and God said, yeah, I told you to find the Hebrew Gospels, so go. So I went, and my wonderful people on my, on my list, and listen, call up, get some free downloads. We have a lot of interesting things at the writing of God, and you'll get on our list, and we'll send you research updates. But these wonderful people provided the money to go there and the money to buy these manuscripts. Okay, and... The manuscripts were from Cambridge, but they were originally from Cochin, India, mm. where St. Thomas went. And, and we have historical attestation that the Hebrew Gospels were carried there. Thomas carried them, I'm sure, but in the second, but Barnabas also went to India and carried them with them, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, we have historical assertion that this happened. And um, uh, also you had someone come from Alexandria and bring a copy back. You know, to Alexandria. So they they were mm. definitely there, and, and they have been preserved, and we have them. All right. So why don't we go look at those three verses again? Okay. All right. So we look at the three verses, and it says, "Here's straight from the Cochin Gospels here." And suddenly, Matthew twenty seven fifty one. And suddenly, the face of the entry of the temple, it's the lintel stone, was split. In two from the beginning until the end, and the earth shook, and the heavens were covered. All right. Again, the Hebrew gospels from Catalonia, and the temple was broken on both sides up and down, the earthquake, and the stone split in the middle. Even mm. more precise that we're talking about the lintel, the stone at the, the entryway. Mark 15, 38, and from the Cochin, 
and the entry to the temple cracked after the start of the quake. The entry mm. to the temple. So it's even more precise about it. The temple was broken on both sides, up and down. And the final one, Luke 23, 45. It was dark. Remember, it covered with darkness. And split the entry of the temple right down the middle. So exactly consistent with the with the verses in the, the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia. But remember, these two Gospels are 5,000 miles apart and 2,000, separated by 2,000 years. Mm. So how is there going to be any collaboration? Did he call him up and say, hey, change that, change those three verses in there to, right. to you know, to correspond with what we say, you know, no, there, there's not. That's just not possible. These are both from the original Gospels. That's one right. of the. So there's a more, common root to these two. Yeah, and they and they are said to be from the earliest church tradition. It'd be the first century tradition. Mm, wow. So we've got these two sets of the Hebrew Gospels, and they're separated by two thousand years and five thousand miles. Now here's some of our a couple of our other manuscripts here. The Augsburg manuscript is one of six complete Brit Hadashas, New Testaments everything. Okay. Now what, what we know is this. Matthew and Luke were originally written in Hebrew. Now Luke was expanded, so it's kind of a hybrid. Uh, Mark and John, as far as we know, John could have been written earlier in Hebrew. It's hard to say. Mark was written in Greek, as far as we know. Uh, Acts is a good question because if Luke was written in Hebrew originally, there was a two-part letter mm. to Theophilus, which actually means lover of God, so it may have been code, mm. right? But anyway, there's still a two-part letter. So Acts may have originally been written in Hebrew. We will find out. We have various manuscripts of Acts now that we're, we're just getting to them. Mm. So we'll be able to do a linguistic analysis and determine whether we think it comes from an original Hebrew text. But the epistles of Paul were written, in, were written in Greek, except for Hebrews. The letter to the Hebrews was written in Hebrew. Mm. We have historical attestation to that. Clement of Rome, I think, said that it was actually Luke who translated it from Hebrew into Greek. So Luke knew Hebrew and he knew Greek, mm. which we knew. So he, he was Hebrew. He was a Hebrew. Uh, they say he's a Gentile, but he wasn't. He knew far too much about Judaism to be a Gentile. Okay, so it was Luke who translated Hebrews into Greek. Okay, but then all Hebrews and all of the ones at the back of the bus, the end, are, are they were they were written in Hebrew. Hebrew, James, was, Peter, John, Jude, yeah, first, second, third, Peter, mm-hmm. no, John, first, second, third, first, second, third, John, first, second, Peter, mm-hmm. James, and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, mm-hmm. and Revelation. Now we'll be coming out with a, a publication on uh, the the epistles of Yeshua. And his brothers, James and John. It's oh, wow. a very important document. Did you know that, that Yeshua had been I was letters? just going to say, that, wait a second. The, <laughs> the, the epistle of Yeshua? <laughs> Where is it? What is that? It's right, there, it's right there in the first two chapters of Revelation. Okay. You know, yeah, he talks about you know, sending letters to the seven churches. Those are actual letters. They actually went to the churches. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. So they so, were really letters dictated by him. You know, to to John, to, to John, to the to the messengers, mm. right? They're called the messengers to the seven churches. It's the same word as angel. It's mm. usually translated as angel, 
angels, but he actually. So this was not just written in Revelation. These became letters and they went were out. They were letters, yeah. They went, wow, went out okay. And, and so people, because of that, people kind of overlooked the profound message in them. Yeah, well, I did. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. And so you have uh, James and Jude, which are phenomenal, phenomenally important. Mm-hmm. And then you also have James, the brother of Jesus, actually wrote a gospel of his own. It's called the Proto-Evangelion of James, which proto means before. So the so it really is the about Yeshua. It's not about James. It's about mm-hmm. Yeshua, his brother, before he even went into his ministry. Mm-hmm. And he's his brother. He's the one to speak of it. And it solves some really, really important doctrinal issues in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I have judged it to be very, uh, to be very authentic. So th- these are really important letters. So here's the the Augsburg manuscript, the Freiburg manuscript. So do these have the markers? Some of them do. Like here in the Freiburg manuscript, you may remember when we talked about this in the Hebrew Gospels, the Shimto manuscript, the Hebrew Gospels from Catalonia, they said not the carpenter, that he was the son of the smith. Yes. That's right, which is napach in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, frankly, having been a carpenter, I know that you do everything. You know, you do everything. Your carpenter, handyman. Roofing, yeah. foundation, <laughs> yeah. painting, sheetrock, yeah. everything. You know, and so they would have done the same. So mm. if you had to do nails or hinges, well, there's the forge, go, go make them. Right. So in, and in, in Greek, he calls them the technon, which is the builder. So mm. it's a, probably a better definition. But we get used to him as a carpenter and think that's sacrosanct. Well, in the Freiburg manuship, he's called the nagar, which is the smelter. It's, it's a word akin to a smith. Okay. Okay, so that fits. It's also in the Lord's Prayer. You remember the Lord's Prayer? The, it's called the doxology, the end. Mm-hmm. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Nothing wrong with that. Theologically, those are all solidly part of Scripture. However, it was not in the Lord's Prayer in the earliest manuscripts. In the earliest Greek manuscripts. Mm. Okay, even it was not in there. It got added in because it became part of their liturgy. And some enterprising scribes said, oh, they forgot the doxology. I'll just add it in, mm. right? But it's very popular, so it's stuck, you know. But it never was a part of the Hebrew. They didn't do a liturgy like that. Right. Mar- uh, Michael has brought that out as well. Right. So, so, in the, so in the Hebrew, there is no doxology of that final line. Now, and so you would be, it would be funny if you did see it. Now, we have another, uh, something else to talk about here, but we're out of time. So I wonder if you would come back and bless us with a love gift. Would you do that? I would be happy to do that. Okay. So we will keep our next secret uh, <laughs> subject here for a love gift. I will. And we'll keep it at that. So thank you for joining us, Miles. Really appreciate it. Anytime you it come in. It was my pleasure. Always very enlightening and, and happy to hear that new folks are taking the torch they to uh, connect the dots to Exodus as we were talking in our last three episodes. And it's exciting to hear from them and, and more exciting to hear from, from you uh, who's putting this all together and providing the background for them. Right, and we'll, we'll need the new people that are coming in. We've got 80 manuscripts and there'll be more. Yep. There's more in the East than in the areas that don't archive that well because they're poorer. Well, there's more to come. But Mm. it's a proven thing now that the Hebrew Gospels, they definitely exist in the Hebrew New Testament. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for joining us. It's been a wonderful series. Hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, look for that love gift as well. Again, thanks for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. We'll see you next time. Shavuot Tov. Shabbat Shalom.